Amen. What could stand against our God? Nothing. Not a thing. All right, we continue today in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 1. And we're going to be talking about the good shepherd. And now, what is a shepherd shepherd? A shepherd shepherd sheep, right? So I've got some sheep puns I want to share with you. What instrument does a pair of sheep play? Two bars. Where do sheep get their wool cut? The baba shop. What do you get when you cross a sheep and some chocolate? A candy bar. What's a sheep's favorite snack? A banana. What's the favorite place of a French sheep to go on holiday? Bastille Day. What do you get when you cross an angry sheep with a grumpy cow? A bad mood. What's a sheep's favorite car? A Lamborghini. What is it called when a sheep wins an election by a huge margin? A lamb slide. What do you say to a sad sheep? Shear up! And lastly, what do you call it when a sheep jumps out at you? It's a lamb bush. <laughs> All right, today we're back in the book of John. I had to uh, do some of those sheep puns when I came across them. I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. This will get one over on AW, and I think it worked. <laughs> All right. So the Gospel of John was written between 90 A.D. and 100 A.D. Uh, scholars also believe that John wrote the three epistles, the book of Revelation, around the same time frame as he wrote his Gospel. The Gospel of John was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and those had already been circulating amongst the churches. John has been dubbed by most scholars as the spiritual Gospel. John chapter 10, verse 1, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version to begin with, and it reads... Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not 
own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and, and know by my own. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. This command I have received from my Father." Therefore, there was a division among, again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? However, others said, there are no, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Father, we come here today and... We know that you are the giver of life and that you give life more abundantly. And so, Lord, as we look around, we ask that, again, you would bless those who could not be here. And, Father, we ask that you would bring forth those that you're calling here from the north, the south, the east, and the west. You said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord the harvest to send the workers. And so, Lord, we pray for that. And we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to the true shepherd by the gate, following his voice and trusting in his sacrifice. We come to the true shepherd by the gate, following his voice and trusting in his sacrifice. First of all, we come to God by the gate. Well, what's the gate? Well, we'll find out. John 10, 1. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Last week we finished up on the story of the blind man, and, and so this is still in that same vein. He's still speaking to them same people. And in this, we're referred to as sheep. Well, whose sheep are we? Well, we're his if we're his sheep. He's the shepherd, and as a pastor, the pastor of the church, I'm the under-shepherd. At least that's what's always been taught. However, this particular portion of Scripture is not teaching that right now. This is a different teaching. Jesus says that he is the gate for the sheep. He is the one in whom you can find eternal life. He is the true Messiah. There had been many that came before him claiming to be the Messiah, but their movements, guess what? They all fell apart. 
True Christianity, it lasted and has lasted for about 2,000 years. John 14, 5 says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, or how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, when we look at cults today, they all have one thing in common. The leader of the cult is the highest authority, not God, not Jesus. And because of this, the outcome is always destruction spiritually, emotionally, and sometimes physically. Folks, let me tell you this, and I want you to listen clearly. Jesus is the only way. Your mama and your daddy's religion won't save you. Your spouse's relationship with Christ won't save you. Only Jesus and your relationship with him can save you. No other religion on earth can save you. Just Jesus. Jesus states his purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life, but his richness is different than what the world's richness is. His richness and satisfaction come with supernatural peace and understanding. We can gaze through the scriptures with new eyes once we're saved from hell. You know, somebody mentioned that um, somebody they knew started in Sunday school this morning, started tithing. And when they started tithing, all of a sudden their dentures stopped hurting. Now that may seem minor and we laugh a little bit about it, but you know, God can do those things. Kind of like that car I told you about where they lifted the engine up to God in their, in their prayers. And it worked. John 14, 25 says this. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Make sure, folks, that you are entering by the gate. The gate is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only the gate, but the good shepherd as well, we find out further down. And it says, and that brings us to point number two, follow the true shepherd's voice. Follow the true shepherd's voice, because if you're his, you will. John chapter 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Notice that Jesus is the shepherd here. He is the good shepherd. He sacrifices his life for the sheep. And when I look around at churches today, I see a lot of under-shepherds who really aren't shepherds, but are hirelings. They're in it for what they can get out of it. They will stay when the times are good, but not when the times are bad. You need to watch out for hirelings. Um, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Acts chapter 20, verse 27 tells us, For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. 
So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. And even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. You know, around here, we may not have the latest and the greatest on the stage. We don't have a smoke machine either or laser lights that draw people. Um, they want nothing more than a, a good show on Sunday mornings. We're not about that. Now, we don't mind good worship, good music. We don't mind good singing. What we mind is having a bunch of tickling of the ears and flesh fits. I was told a long time ago that if you get people by the flesh, then you have to keep people by the flesh. However, if your people come because of the Holy Spirit, then it's his job to keep them, not yours. Learned that in seminary. All that time in seminary, all that money, and that's what I learned. Can you believe that? That was a joke. You'll get that on the way home. The next thing Jesus says is that he knows his own people and they know him. His sheep, that is us, know him as intimately as he knows his father. He tells them right up front that he's going to sacrifice himself for them. To take their place of punishment that they deserve. We, call the, we got a big churchy word for that called the substitutionary atonement. It simply means he paid a price he didn't owe and we receive the blessing from it. We're made clean and new before God because of his sacrifice. Then Jesus talks about other sheep and other sheepfolds. Well, what is he talking about? Other sheep. Well, you see, Jesus was and is a Jewish man. Salvation came to all of us here through the Jewish people. Anyone who was a non-Jew is called a Gentile. Jesus built his church from some sheep that were Jewish and some sheep that were Gentile. Did you know that? Salvation's been open to all mankind, not just a specific people. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, the word world here means all mankind. All different tribes and nations across the world. For God so loved the world. Now that was revolutionary thinking at the time because everyone was split up into their own nationalities. They kept to themselves. They didn't have Buicks and, and nice little cars where they could travel 100 miles in under an hour. That took days. Sometimes months to get where you wanted to go. But Jesus brings unification amongst all the nations. How does he do that? With salvation. Salvation is the unifying force in all of history. There was nothing like it before and there's nothing after that can unify all mankind together. If they belong to him. If they're truly saved. There's also a unification with God and man that wasn't possible before Jesus. We have a relationship now with God that we couldn't have before because he cannot abide sin. Let me ask you a question. Do you know him today? Are you a part of his new sheepfold? Do you want to be? That's the question. 
And lastly, as Christians, we trust in the shepherd's sacrifice. We trust in the shepherd's sacrifice. John 10, verse 17. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and to also take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. And when he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You know, we like to think that Jesus' life was taken from him by the Jews conspiring with the Romans, but that's not the case. Oh, they conspired with the Romans, but he could have called a thousand upon a thousand legions of angels to take him off the cross, and he didn't. He laid it down willingly, and he took it up again on the third day, which proclaimed that he has the keys of kingdom over death, hell, and the grave. Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So how do these people respond? Some say he's demon-possessed. Well, why? Because what he was saying seemed ridiculous to them. No one had died and rose again like that. No one was the once-for-all sacrifice, but Jesus telling them what is going to happen, and they think he's nuts. You ever met anybody you think is a little nuts? Maybe you ought to listen sometimes. Maybe they got some good points to say. Well, I guess you do if you come listen to me, don't you? Some of y'all get that on the way home. You know what? There are people in the world who still think that Jesus rising from the grave is nuts. Do you know that? Because of, Why? Because if they admit Jesus rose from the grave, then guess what? Deep down, they have to be accountable to him for their sins. And they love darkness so much that they embrace it over the light. John 3.18 tells us there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants.